Welcome into the 11 Dubcast brought to you by Safe Light Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Light. I am Bo Bishop. On the other end is Johnny Ginter. It was senior day. It was Illinois. Uh, JT Barrett had to be brought back in off the bench because Dwayne Haskins had a fumble and we will not tolerate fumbles in the third quarter. And Ohio State could have scored 110 points and held Illinois to seven. Did I miss it? Oh, we got an Illabuck. Did I miss anything? Uh, well, okay. So I was actually really upset that we didn't talk for Illabuck for 45 minutes last Just week. Cause that's really, I really, I really love Illabuck. Um, I sat in B deck with my fiance and oh, that's we right. were you super attended. dry. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get wet. We didn't get a, a drop on us. And then we left a little bit early cause we were like, all right, you know, we want to see if we can get out here before the rain gets really crazy. And then the rain got really crazy and we got soaked anyway. So it was, you know, it was a game. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And until I got extremely soaked, but other than that, it was it was a good time. This that's the sneaky value of B deck. So my oh, seats yeah. are in B deck. So my seats are on the forty yard line. They're probably about two or three rows up, and um, they are undercover. So I firmly believe they are as good as any seats in the house because you do not get the sun in August in September. You do not get the snow or the rain the rest of the year. It's a it's a pretty great spot the problem is there's so few of them because so many of the views are obstructed but if you can get one of the ones that are unobstructed i mean i don't know how you do better than that unless you're in a suite no i thought it was great i mean we were we were kind of like a little bit further back on b deck we were right on the 50 yard line and even then like you really don't have the pillars are pretty much in the end zone so you get the entire field in front of you and it was sweet it was nice i mean i I had a great time it was a lot of fun were you surprised urban threw jt back in we, I, asked you know what? I think he just has this hard rule about we got to get 35 points up and <laughs> once no I'm serious once that I stops think you're right. like, okay well we got to we got to get back to that point and so I'm going to put my guys back in I think that's why he's kept guys in even though the games were clearly over but if you're 34 points ahead then damn it we're going to keep our starters in until we get that extra point I asked so, Evan about it on the TV show and that's basically what he said that yeah, Urban, exactly Urban realizes not the 35 point rule but that Urban is very aware of how Ohio State has to be perceived at this time of year and sure. he was not going to allow that allow Illinois who he you know could name the score on make it look closer than it was right. and so he was so furious about that that he said get the starters back in there's been some great stories about some of the offensive linemen who didn't even have their tape on <laughs> um, like that, you know, and yet they go f- back out there in a game that was 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 clearly, you know, obviously over. But uh, the yeah. perception of it had to, was something that Urban was still worried about. So it's funny you were you're exa- in a sense you're exactly right, and and Evan kind of echoed that on the television show. Um, so that really is about all we have to say about Illinois. It's it's they're just dreadful. I mean, it's just the mo- one, just a crazy dreadful program right now. And to think that a guy who coached the Chicago Bears to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman the head coach of that team and they haven't won a big 10 game in two years. They're not going to win this weekend. Crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. What, what a worst team shadow of itself. Yeah. Easily it's crazy. It's really strange because they, you know, they were in a Rose bowl 10 years ago and they've just wrong hires, yeah. bad hires, disinterest. And the facilities are fine. I've been over there. They're fine. Um, it, it's strange. It, it's, it's really shocking how far, how far they've fallen. Um, and so with that, it is the game week. And yes, when you are like me and you grew up in Montana, uh, you got about one college football game a year. I'm exactly mm-hmm. usually you got about three or four. I mean, typically when I was growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, you would see uh, Nebraska play a little bit. You would see, like against Colorado. You would see Miami, the Miami Hurricane. Like I remember the Miami, Florida State and the Miami Notre Dame. But you always saw this game. You always saw Ohio State and Michigan, and you always saw it. It was at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, and you saw the silver hats, and you saw the the maize and blue winged helmet, and you saw them colliding. And it was this, um, it was something that felt Midwestern, even if you didn't even know what that meant. If that makes any hmm. sense, like it just felt yeah, it like does. a struggle. It just felt like a Midwestern <laughs> cult struggle. And I'd never been to the Midwest, but in my head, I thought this is the personification of the Midwest is these two teams and them playing at noon in Columbus or Ann Arbor. And, um, and, and so no matter where you are from, I'm guessing if you're a sports fan at all, you have a story like that. Now for you, you grow up in Ohio. So it's, it's right on your doorstep for your entire childhood. You attended Ohio state. So it, it, you know, amps up even more from there. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but I can tell you for, and 
if, if you have no ties to the state of Ohio and you have no ties to Ohio State or Michigan, this one still resonated in the 80s and 90s. And, and I'm guessing it probably still does. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but there was something very collegiate, very Midwestern about it. And it, it to me, it just stands the test of time. And, and that's why anytime there's a conversation about greatest rivalries in all of sport, it's one. It's one of them. Um, however you want, who else you want to put in that mix, it's up to you, but it certainly is one of them. Uh, what are your first memories of the game? My first, man, I really didn't become aware of how important this game was. I don't think until maybe I was like nine or 10 because my family wasn't a huge sports family. Like I enjoyed sports and I played sports all throughout my childhood, but nobody in my family were huge Ohio state football fans. But I, I just remember, I think like, going to elementary school and being, you know, ostensibly an Ohio State fan. Like, I was an Ohio State fan by default because I'm an Ohioan, and I I enjoy when Ohio does good things. And I just remember, like, going in to fourth, fifth, sixth grade as Ohio State continually blew it against Michigan. And, you know, the other kids at school who are, you know, some contrarian douchebags are coming in, and they're they're Michigan fans, and they're wearing their gear, and they're, like, laughing at me for wearing my Ohio State hat or my Ohio State jacket. And I didn't really understand why. And that resentment just built up year after year after year. And I didn't get it when I was like in fourth grade, but after like six consecutive years of that, you know, by the time I'm in high school, I'm like, I hate Michigan. Like I, I want them to burn to the ground. Like I was so angry. And so I think when I started to first start getting that inkling of uh, resentment towards Michigan fans is when I started to realize how much this really meant because other people had been experiencing that kind of stuff for decades. And I was just starting to get into it as an Ohioan. So I, I really appreciate that. And by the way, Bo, I really appreciate uh, the perspective of somebody not from Ohio about this. Because yeah. I love reading about how people experience the Ohio State Michigan game when it's not a part of their uh, childhood and their formative years. Because I remember um, a couple of years ago, Spencer Hall from uh, you know EDSBS wrote something about the Ohio State Mission game, and he he said something that really resonated with me. And you know, this is a guy who's from the South, and he didn't really grow up uh, with the game, uh, but he said there's like this weird kind of clockwork mentality uh, about it, where you when you are a part of this, you innately realize that you are part of something that stretches back generations and generations and decades and decades and decades and that it's going to go on way long after you're gone so you're kind of part of this this ancient thing that is never really going to go away and it's this this clockwork you know germanic kind of thing that you're just a part of and it's it's kind of crazy because it's it's kind of scary and big and old and that's i think what's so exciting about it so i thought that nailed it perfectly and i always like seeing how other people react to this cultural thing that we can't really get you know out of ourselves no matter where we are or what we're doing yeah i think the the best thing i've ever seen on it was the hbo documentary i thought it captured it perfectly i mean it was just that 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 what i watched that before i moved here and um and it was i just was stunning the way that it captured it and um and put you in a and i watch it i still watch it the week before the game i'll find a time and i'll go find it on hbo go and i'll watch it um, cause it, it just does such a fantastic job. Of course the, the next chapter, cause that ends with the 2006 game. So it right. ends with that game, the game of the century. But you think about what has changed between then and now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a whole other, there's another 30 minutes on that thing if they want, um, right. if they ever wanted to add to it. And, and that's what I, I wanted to get to next, because you, you mentioned about you're, you're a child of the nineties and you, uh, you, you mentioned about. Um, the hatred that you had for Michigan. And I, the only thing, and, and how you, I thought that was very eloquent, you talked about, and I've heard other people say this as well, about how it's something that was happened long before you and stretches long after you. The game has changed a great deal. Uh, the game used to be played the week before Thanksgiving. It's now played after Thanksgiving. The game used to mean, uh, for many of the years, the Big Ten Championship and a trip to the Rose Bowl. Now, uh, it hasn't meant that much in the last decade. Um, and it, it, it will, most of the time, one of these teams will still have their eyes set on something much bigger than the Rose bowl, which you know, is blasphemy for anybody who's from the seventies or eighties or even the nineties, because that's all you cared about was the Rose bowl and the big 10. And right. I do wonder if, if the game for several factors has nationally has lost some of its juice. And, um, I know it hasn't around here, but I, I wonder if 
the fact that it's now played after Thanksgiving takes anything away. I don't think so. I think that's kept it fine. I think, yeah. I think that the playoff and the Big Ten championship game takes some of it off because you have this next game to play. And I heard Archie Griffin on 92.3 The Fan this afternoon saying about there's no way he could play a game after an Ohio State-Michigan in the 70s that his body could not stand to play the next week. And that's what these guys will be asked to do is to play this week and then play next week. Um, so so I, think, I think that has taken a little bit off of it because it used to be this one thing we all pointed toward. You drove the whole season for this one game, and now you have this game and another one. And, right. and so I think that takes some juice. But I think far and away the thing that's taken the biggest um, – the most juice away from the rivalry is, is Michigan just being very bad at football for quite a while now and being mostly irrelevant. There's still been some classic games. Last year was fantastic and Michigan was really good last year, but that that's the anomaly of the last 10 years, really. Most of the time when Ohio State plays Michigan, Michigan is a big underdog. And most of the time Ohio State has won. Ohio, Michigan has only won this game twice since 2001. I mean, you think <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> That's stunning. I mean, if, if you go look at, I was looking at the tail of the tape on the rivalry, like you've got to go back to like the 1900s to find a stretch. Now I know the Cooper stretch, but the, the difference with the Cooper stretch was Michigan was taking something from you at that point. Ohio right. state was the better team in many of those seasons and Michigan stole that from you. So that stokes a rivalry because you are a great football team and they are unworthy and yet they still beat you. They aren't good. When you whip them, you're not taking anything from them other than their pride, which has already probably been beaten. Um, and, and I thought that when Harbaugh was hired, and we saw that last year, in which was just a classic game, but I thought when he was hired that this thing would ratchet right back up and it would be Woody versus Bo. And, Johnny, it's not been that. Not right. yet. Well, We've had one great game. Um, this will be his fourth shot at it, and he's a big, big underdog in this game. And if he trots out John O'Corn, it's hard to wrap your head around anyway how they win. I think they're an 11- or 12-point favorite, Ohio State is. Um, that, that's interesting that Michigan hasn't been relevant much in about 15 years. So I, I, I think one of the things that you hit on that I think is interesting is that, um, you know, you, a lot of people will compare this era of Ohio state dominance to the 1990s. And the truth of the matter is, is that this era of dominance for Ohio state is far exceeded, uh, in terms of just raw wins and, and all that than, than what, uh, you know, Michigan experienced during the 1990s. So Michigan I also I think be great that. Ohio State teams in the 90s. Yeah, these aren't great Michigan teams. Right. So I, I think we're I think we're way beyond that. I, I don't know that that comparison is really apt anymore. I also thought it was interesting. Um, you know, it was put out on Twitter. I think Kyle Rowland had it out there that Michigan hasn't even beaten a team with a winning record in over a calendar year, like over 400 days. So crazy, man. that I mean that that's an insane stat, and, and you're right. Like I think a lot of people are really hoping for the rekindling of the ten-year war and all that kind of stuff. I think part of it on Michigan's you know side for this year has just been horrendous luck in terms of injuries and some other things. I think if they had a little bit more consistency of the quarterback department, they would be looking a little bit better than they are now. I don't think a great deal better, but you know I don't think that people would be basically calling in their bets you know on the Tuesday before the game. Um, but overall, I you know, I'm not necessarily disappointed with how the, the rivalry has progressed. I think as long as there is something to play for, as long as Michigan still can still take something from Ohio State or vice versa, right. the game then the rivalry still has a lot of meaning. I mean, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, this that it's over. Like you want you know, you're still going to the Big Ten championship game, that's great, but you're not going to any kind of national, you know, championship aspirations. Those are gone. So if that can be taken away from Ohio State, I think you still have a great deal to play for, and I think the game is still carries a lot of importance. To me, as long as it's at the very end of the season, as long as it is that you know last regular season game and has that kind of weird inertia to it, then it's going to be a relevant, important game, even when Michigan kind of sucks. Now they can't like you know 2009 suck or whatever that year was where they just you know got oh, blown out by ridiculous. You can't do that. But as long as you can keep it relatively close, it's something that I think a lot of people are still going to be pretty anxious about. Yeah, there there is. I mean, it, it's still it's still the thing we all point to. It'll still have the most eyes watching it. It's it's just how it's. I'm curious. You know, when you think about how it's viewed nationally, and I'm I'm one of these. And not that anybody who's listening to this gives a damn about how it's viewed nationally. Uh, but <laughs> right. but when you when you go around claiming to be one of the great rivalries in all of sports, which this is, then it's then it demands that both of the teams be relevant. And, and it yeah. demands that Michigan wins one of these from time to time. And it demands that every once in a while, they're in the national championship picture. You know they haven't won a Big Ten in 13 years? Right. Michigan has not won a Big Ten. Yeah. I mean, this, it's been a while. 
I mean, they they have not been relevant in the conference or nationally in a very long time. I mean, it's a it's a pretty wild thing to consider because as someone who grew up when I did, um, and you think about what Michigan was in the '90s, you know, obviously won a national championship in '97. Um, but we're always a, a team that to be dealt with in the Big Ten and played in the Rose Bowl all the time with Bo. And so it that that that's why I think to me this game on Saturday, this is Jim Harbaugh's game. This is on Jim Harbaugh. Um, he's been in enough of these. He gets paid an awful lot of money. He was hired to be their Urban Meyer. It's time for him to win one of these. Now, I don't think he's going to. Um, but I think the tenor that the tenor of of how he is viewed up there, if he gets if he gets smoked Saturday in Ann Arbor and his team gets hammered, the way he's viewed is going to start to change. And yeah. I mean, th- that's a pretty, sh- I thought he would have done it by now. You mentioned Kyle's about, you know, no wins over a team with a winning record. He's like one in six against top 10 teams. I mean, it's, it's crazy how ineffective he's been at the Michigan head coach. And you can look no, no further than the recruiting. It's amazing he doesn't have a franchise quarterback. It's amazing that he doesn't have a star running back, considering the style of football he wants to play. Um, if Ohio State, yeah, Ohio State can still play for the national title. But honestly, as we've said, I don't think we can advocate for a team that did that has the losses that this one had to get to the playoff. Like if they get there, to me, it's house money. Like nobody could right. sit here and say Ohio State <laughs> deserves to play for the national title. Like if they get there, okay, great, let's go play in the playoff and see if we can shock the world again. Um, but they don't deserve to be there based on what they've done this year. So, yeah. so it, this is really Harbaugh's game more than anything else. I mean, if Urban loses this game, it'll it'll this will be a vastly disappointing season. But he can still win the Big Ten next week, and they can still host a Big Ten championship, and and they'll be th- you you honestly. We'll forget about if, – if Ohio State were to lose to Michigan – this is going to sound blasphemous. If Ohio State were to lose to Michigan Saturday, and again, I don't think they will, but if they were and they go on to win the Big Ten, you're going to forget about the loss to Michigan pretty quick. I really mean that because next week you'll be celebrating a Big Ten championship. And whereas yeah, I think that'll take away from it a hammered, bit, though. If Michigan gets hammered, that lasts all year. And how many years has this been now for him? Yeah. He's got to have well, a good it performance, look like it's don't you reverse think? Either. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing with Michigan. Like, it's one thing if you're you know kind of competing toe to toe with Ohio State, and that's a year in year out thing, and maybe it doesn't break your way. But when you clearly have some deficiencies on your team that cannot match up to what Ohio State has been able to develop, then that's got to be really concerning for a Michigan fan. Because again, like you said, the money is is extreme that they yeah. have been giving Jim Harbaugh. And you want, you know, Urban Meyer-like results with that kind of investment, and they just haven't gotten it. So, you know, again, part of it's bad luck, but part of it is you just haven't been as good as Ohio State. And that's your – and whenever you have a kind of rivalry like that, that is always going to be your measuring So, you know, I I think it's interesting. I I think if they lose to Michigan, and even if they win the Big Ten Championship, I you know, that's going to take some sheen off of it. That's going to take some luster off of it. Sure. But, I, you know, I think some people will be a little bit happy about that, especially given the fact that Urban Meyer hasn't won a Big Ten championship in a while. And that's something that I know sticks in the crawl of some Ohio State fans. But, yeah, I <laughs> I got to tell you, on, on Saturday morning, I am going to be pretty, pretty stressed out about the outcome of this game. So, I think that is because of when you grew up. Yeah, and that's true. And that's, and that's very John true. Years. I, I got to tell you something. A lot of the guys on the site who yeah. are younger than me, who grew up in the early 2000s, do not have the same kind of stress no. that I do. So. No, it's a, I, when, I was used, when we used to take the calls in, on the show in Columbus, on the radio show, and people would, I would say, look, I mean, even some of those trestle teams that blew out those Rich Rod teams, and I would say, look, this is going to be a, this is going to be an absolute annihilation. And people would call up, don't you say that. Don't you say that. And I would just say, how old are you? And they'd go 42. And I'd say, okay, that's because you remember Coop. But right. this ain't Coop. <laughs> and they, it's all, unfortunately, I love John Cooper. And honestly, as I think back, I'll, I'll close with this. As I do think back to the 90s, I remember feeling such empathy for John Cooper that he couldn't win that game because he just looked like your grandpa. And you'd see right. him on the sidelines just befuddled and, <laughs> and like looking at his team and looking at all these stars and going, my God, how, could, how can they not beat this team? How can Michigan... How can Bianca Batuka happen? I mean, how can that happen? It doesn't make any sense. And even if right. you didn't have the context, like I didn't, I remember feeling sorry for him and thinking, wow, he's really needs to win one of these at one time. And you'd look up and sure enough, Michigan be winning again. So if you're of an age and you remember that, you'll never, this will never not be great hammering them. 
you know, every single <laughs> year will never not be great if you remember right. that stuff. Um, all right, a little bit later, we'll get to the keys of this game. Uh, coming up shortly, we'll be joined uh, by Bo Schembechler's son, Shemmy Schembechler. He will join us for the Michigan perspective on this. But before we get to that, by now, by now, you've no doubt heard me talk about SafeLight, the Columbus-based industry leader, and how and what is the clear choice for auto glass repair and replacement? How they will replace your windshield on your time at your convenience. All of that remains true. But today, I also want to say how cool it is to see that logo in the goal post net each and every week for every home Ohio State football game. We are awful proud to be associated with a Columbus company that is so prominently featured at every single home Buckeye football game. I smile every time I see that logo. All right, we will get to uh, Shimmy Schembechler coming up in a second. Before we get to that, we got a couple minutes here. I want to talk about the playoff perspective, uh, perspective for Ohio State. Simple terms. Uh, as, as important as your game is, the other game for Buckeye fans to pay attention to is the Iron Bowl, and you really need Alabama to win. I, I, an Alabama loss, I think, would be crippling for Ohio State. Ohio State, uh, the, the, the committee put out their rankings, and again, I, I don't really care about where they're ranked, uh, but, but the head of the committee did say that Ohio State, Penn State, and USC are all very closely bundled together, and he mentioned specifically Ohio State's bad loss to Iowa. Now, they have short memories. We remember that from 2014, so don't read too much into that. But in terms of the big picture stuff for this weekend, Johnny, you cannot have Alabama lose to Auburn because Alabama with one loss is getting in this playoff, and then that would mean the other SEC team team that won the SEC title would get in, and that'd be two spots gone. So uh, roll tide certainly this weekend if you're a Buckeye fan. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of you know aren't super excited about the prospect of two SEC teams in, but honestly, like that'll that'll be it. And and look, happen. I mean. The- Depending on how, you know, the other things kind of shake out. I mean, Ohio State definitely has a chance in this, but you, you got to <laughs> you kind of kind of hope for the evil to win a little bit uh, this weekend because it's just, you know, it's one of those things where they're going to be comparing resumes and trying to see who has the best. And that that Iowa loss is a glaring, uh, inexplicable stain on Ohio State's resume. and You can't get rid of it because people are going to look at that and go, well, you know, we got we got this team. We got team A who might have a loss or two, but did not lose to the likes of like, you know, I think it was like the 118th ranked offense as of last week. Um, just an unbelievably crazy loss. Yeah, it, it certainly will hurt the Buckeyes or uh, it, it will hurt the Buckeyes that Iowa loss going forward. Uh, all right, coming up next, we will be joined. This is a real treat. We're joined by Glenn Schimbeckler. Shemmy joins us. And uh, I used to see him in the Ohio State press box uh, from time to time, certainly when it was time to talk the game. And it's a great pleasure to have him on the program now. Shemmy, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks for so much for having me on the air tonight. And uh, I also want to say you're, you're the host of the, the Rivalry podcast, which will tape this Friday in Ann Arbor. Where are you going to be taping that? Yeah, so we're going to be at Haymaker Public House from 6 until 8 tonight. Now, the cool thing is one of my partners is former Ohio State offensive tackle Tom Levenick. Nice. And uh, he has managed to to invite a plethora of former Ohio State football players that are going to be there. So our challenge as Michigan people is to at least match it in our own hometown. Well, you know that there's nothing that, that gets this. I mean, don't they do they do blood bank challenges? We do, we'll fight over anything in this rivalry, won't we? There's no doubt. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with having that competitive nature, no matter what we do. And so I think it's healthy. Uh, it is. Part of the problem is the fact that I live here in Columbus, Ohio. You're going to get tied into Buckeyes here. And so I've been here for 16 years <laughs> now, man. And and there's nowhere I can turn to avoid what's going on down here. So when I decide to do anything that's in relation to Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State people are going to be involved. And this is a perfect <laughs> example. You you mentioned the, uh, you know, the, I think everybody on here and most people listening would agree that this is the greatest rivalry in all of sport, but uh, it has been yep. an awful long time. Um, you know, Michigan with just two wins since 2001, it's been a long time without a Big Ten championship. Take me inside right. the psyche of a Michigan fan uh, and, and the state of the program at the moment. Well, so I, I can't speak for all the Michigan faithful per se, but I can speak on the perspective of myself, Glenn E. the uh, third, as well as my father, Glenn E. Bo Jr. And the one thing I can tell you is, is each game takes on a life of itself. And so even though uh, Michigan's still ahead in the overall series, Ohio State's in the head in the last 20 years, 
you take each game on its own merits. And so if you have that focus as a player and coach on both sides of the ball, you have a chance to be successful because you're not worried about all the other stuff going on outside the sidelines. Make sense? Yeah, certainly <laughs> does. Um, it's just, we, you know, we, in this, in this rivalry, we have, we have all these moments and we, you know, last year's game was just yep. spectacular. And and I know that well, I there's. Remember, a... I remember Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, and Tamanga Biakabatuka like it was yesterday. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. Uh, <laughs> there there are some people under a certain age though who do not. Um, and and that, let, well, let, you said take it one game at a time. Let's talk about Jim, uh, who, yep. who your dad coached and uh, loved, and and it seems like yep. Jim has has well. It's you just gotta understand, Jim, Jim's it. been Jim's been involved with his program since he was eight and nine years old. Because yeah. understand, his father Jack was hired in 1974 to coach the secondary at Michigan. So Jim, more so than just about anybody else on this planet, understands uh, the culture at Michigan and what is needed for a successful uh, championship program that we want to win the Big Ten every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, so Jim has an understanding. And so everybody loves to talk about his personality, his idiosyncrasies, uh, all of the things that make him an interesting and individual person. But if there's one thing that I would say about Jim uh, uh, that is perfectly appropriate is that my dad would tell all of the guys that coached under him and for him and when they went off to become a head coach is to make sure that you bring your own personality to the table. I will say that there's been way too many coaches in the past that tried to model themselves mm-hmm. personality-wise after Bo, and I think that's a mistake. You have to be your own man. Now, we're not here to sacrifice our honesty and integrity and, and winning the right way and all those things, but as a person, you have to be able to bring about your own personality if you're truly going to be successful. So... Mm-hmm. uh so Jim, I, I think he was succeeded in that implicitly. Would you guys agree? He well, is from our perspective. He is yeah, absolutely a genuine him. article. He yeah. is. I think he's exactly who who we view him to be. Exactly. And so uh, let, let's just make a comparison. Do you think my father would spend the night at a recruit's house? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> unlikely. Very unlikely. And so the fact that Jim is willing to do that to go get a kicker or any position. He is bringing his own personality to the fore, and I think so, that's a strength of his. Can People I ask appreciate you then, that about because, him. Can I ask you this then? Because honestly, from from our perspective, you know, as, as Ohio State, you know, yep. observers and yep. fans, and reporters, and all that, I, I think we really yep. value that. I, I love the fact that you have someone like him mm-hmm. bringing that kind of life to the rivalry. But I guess the question yep. that I have is: Do Michigan fans? appreciate that as much as maybe we do and how long can they tolerate you know a guy who has this great personality and and brings a lot of excitement but doesn't necessarily beat Ohio State well let's let's put this in perspective because obviously we have not seen the record on the field uh where we need it to be and nobody is in disagreement on that okay you have to take a look at the nuts and bolts of the roster and recruiting all right yeah. Uh, we are not here to throw any of the previous coaches under the bus, but it takes time to build a program, all right? And I was talking to uh, somebody the other day. Uh, uh, when Bo took the job in 1969, uh, he he basically, Canham, Don Canham at the AD at the time, asked him, how much time do you need to build the program to where you want it? And Bo said very simply, five years. And this is 1969 when you have 135 scholarships available to you, okay? (laughs) Fast forward to this year and this period of time, so over the last 15, 20 years, we've been limited to 85 scholarships. So to me, the same model makes sense, all right? If you look at the Michigan roster and who is playing and who is starting, this is a very young football team, all right? There's a lot of young players, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, that are all going to be outstanding contributors. They're going to be better than what they are right now, and they're still one of the top five defenses in the country. If And offenses always take longer than defenses. We all understand that implicitly. As long as we are developing a young and -and up-and-coming quarterback or quarterbacks, and I would submit that Jim has done an outstanding job in getting the likes of Peters and McCaffrey, and we got a young kid by the name of Milton coming in next year, that position is going to be well endowed well into the future. 
the other position that we need to uh, develop, continue to develop, and this is always takes the longest amount of time to develop, is those on the offensive line. We're not where we need to be yet, but we have so many young, talented players that are on the field today that when we look at next year's prognosis as well as uh, the third year, so two years from now, this team's going to be competing for not only Big Ten championships, but national championships as well. And I think we need to have that certain level of confidence as a fan base uh, to be able to have uh, faith and patience in what we're doing. Make sense? It does. You you continue to live in Columbus, and so you have a front row seat for what Urban Meyer has done at Ohio State. What what is you, what do you view? What do you see the way that he's what he's done with that program and and where it is uh, in relationship to? I, I mean, obviously, Tress had a great program as well, but it seems like Urban's taking it to another level. Well, uh, uh, Urban is a, uh, is a great and successful coaching career. I was very fortunate to get to know Urban very early in his coaching career when he, he actually was the wide receivers coach for Bob Davy at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I didn't know him when he when he GA'd for Earl. But I knew that Urban was going to be a successful coach when it's all said and done. And so when he came back to Bowling Green uh, to do what he did there at a place, you know, Bowling Green wasn't very successful at the time. And to turn that program into what he did, you knew that he was going to be on the fast track to be one of the top coaches in all of college football. So for him to go from Bowling Green to, to Utah all the way down to Florida and back to Ohio State, none of this really surprises me. Uh, I think what Urban does that is amongst the most cutting edge uh, of all college football coaches is understanding the recruiting process and understanding how to target and identify players, and he is an outstanding recruiter. He is one of the very best there is in college football. I'd put him up there with uh, with the likes of Saban and all the rest of the characters down there in the SEC. <laughs> and uh, if you look at, and, and I'm being frank, and, and it's not the easiest thing to get players to come out of the South to come play for you, but Urban has done it consistently well. And just look at all the guys he's put in the NFL. He's getting ready to have a, the next two classes are going to have a plethora of first-round draft picks, make no mistake. And yeah. so now it's all a matter of taking that short window of these players that are going to be NFL ready and getting them to play as a team. And that is uh, a lot easier said than done now. When you're trying to develop a program that is uh, consistently with one of the national powers, uh, for what Urban has done at Ohio State, is uh, I-, I think is simply outstanding. So I would be really remiss if I didn't pick your brain a little bit on this, because you have been involved in, in football pretty much your entire life. You've obviously watched your father sure. you know, coach and, mm-hmm. and, and see how they interacted with Woody and Ohio State. Can you tell us yep. a little bit about the relationship uh, between your father and uh, Woody Hayes? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you talk about uh, – I think it's one of the most respectful relationships in the history of football and, and college football and pro football. And, and to consider uh, how my father's coaching career really got started, it all started with Woody. And so when you talk about Woody bringing Bo here in 1950 – uh, and, and people have told me this. I think Bo was the very first graduate assistant coach in the history of college football. <laughs> and for Woody to think outside the box, and for people to think that Woody wasn't a visionary, they are completely wrong. To me, he was at the cutting edge of what the coaching profession was all about. And there's a great book out there, and I know you guys have heard of it. It's called uh, Woody Hayes' uh, Hotline to Victory. Do you ever remember that book? I don't. I haven't read it. I'm familiar with the well, title. You, need, but I not you read guys it. need to get it. If you're going to okay. understand the rivalry and the relationship that Bo and Woody had, you need to read that book because uh, uh, I took a, uh, a football class at Miami University taught by the legendary Randy Walker. And that oh, book wow. had been published for well over 25 years. That was our textbook. <laughs> and if you go through and you read that book and you understand all the nuances of what it means to coach, uh, that book is one of the very best books that has ever been written about the coaching profession. And so consider that Bo was basically trained day to day of what it means to build a program and how to coach players and how to develop a coaching staff and how to identify coaches. Uh, there's a section in that book that deals directly with how with how to go into an interview when you're when you're going for a coaching job, whether it's assistant or head coach, 
and college and high school coaches have come up to me even today of how that chapter implicitly impacted them and allowed them to interview effectively to get that job. And for Bo to have that experience, not only as a GA, but to come back as an assistant uh, uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, those experiences are truly what position him for his own Hall of Fame coaching career. And so as a Schembechler to understand where that came from, see, I was born in 1969. I never had a chance to meet Woody until the early 80s in person. But I remember so much about how my dad revered him. And uh, whenever Woody would call for anything, whenever he asked for anything, Bo would do it. He told him to show up for a speech or a clinic or for anything, Bo would show up. And I can tell you, uh, and this is kind of interesting, even when Bo became the head coach at Michigan, all right, and if somebody had asked him if, if he would ever want Woody to come speak to the Michigan team, he would say whatever he wanted. And so it's that amount of respect that those guys had for each other. And I can tell you, and this is really what made the 10-year war so special, is because my father tried to do everything that Woody taught him to do. And he made it a, the central focus of what his program was all about. And, and, that, and so going back to the 69 game, and as well as the rest of those 10 games, uh, that really spelled out the special nature of that game. And if you talk to any of the players on both sides of the ball, they're going to tell you implicitly that that, uh, that, that uh, game was the most well-worth victory. If you're fortunate enough to win that game, it was the most rewarding victory you have ever had in your college football career, college or pro. And so yeah. I would challenge you guys to ask any former player the same question. And for the guys that play for Bo and Woody, they will tell you exactly the same thing. You know, thank you. So, I mean, you get chills hearing some of that stuff. You know what? It, what it strikes me as you, you should. Talk about it. Well, you do. <laughs> I mean, you do when you watch the the HBO documentary, which was so spectacular. Yep. Uh, the way that yep. stuff that you didn't mm-hmm. know, and the, some of the stuff from your dad, yep. and that just takes your breath yep. away when you watch it. Yep. What strikes yep. me though is is that 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 what made what they really set it off. Uh, the two of them. And, and it was, it was, yeah, okay. Ohio state hates Michigan and the fans hate each other and so forth and so on. But at the base of it was an incredible amount of love and respect for one another. Um, and it was really, I'm going to outfox you. I'm going to, I'm going to outfox you this year. I mean, that it was really, it's really a stunning thing. Well, And like I said, when you're fortunate to win that game, I mean, the unbelievable sense of accomplishment because you know what the other program is doing. They're doing everything they can to prepare that team for victory. And and when you consider how successful both of those coaches were in their own right, uh, uh, it just goes to show what a great sense of accomplishment it was for each of the players and coaches uh, when you come out on top in that game. And probably yeah, I so think satisfying that, they, that they're linked forever. You know, if you think about yep. it, you almost can't say Bo without yep. Woody and Woody without well, Bo. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think when you consider how their their coaching legacies were, were derived yeah. and Bo learned so much from Woody, that is so hard to replicate in, t- in today's college football. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? yeah. No, absolutely. Because as great as, as great as Urban and Jim are in their respective positions, they will never gain the experience that Bo had uh, coaching under Woody and, and playing for Woody. You understand, Bo played for Woody at Miami University. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, the story that I love to tell was uh, when Bo was recruited out of Barberton High School, uh, he was recruited by the father of the West Coast offense. Do you guys remember Sid Gilman? Oh, yeah. The father of the West Coast offense recruited my father out of Barberton High School to go to Miami. Okay. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so my dad's first year, they had freshman football back then. And after my dad's first year, he's getting ready to move up to varsity. Uh, Gilman leaves Miami and goes to the arch rival Cincinnati. He takes all the very best players from Miami's team and they transfer down there. You think about how deeply rooted the animosity was for Sid Gilman when he left. And think about Woody Hayes coming to take that job at Miami University when Bo's a junior. And he understood implicitly how to drive motivation so that they would be ready to beat. And, and, and basically, Miami, you see, and you guys know this, 
It's uh, basically the minor version of Michigan, Ohio State. It's one of the greatest rivalries in all of football. And and for Woody to come in there and understand how that whole thing with Sid Gilman went down, and he knew how to motivate his team and get ready. And by the time they're getting ready to play that game in 1950, uh, Ohio State, the job had just opened up. And uh, the word was whoever won that game between Gilman and Hayes was going to get the Ohio State job. And we all know what happened after that, <laughs> uh, that Woody ended up getting the job. And then after the season was over, they went out and played the salad bowl and beat the crap out of Arizona in the salad bowl. And uh, Bo came back and he told Woody you wanted to coach. Woody says, okay, you're coming with me. And that's when he became a GA at Ohio State. So that's never, that, that, that doesn't happen today. I don't think no. it's ever going to happen in the history of college football. And that, is, that, that to me is what makes the rivalry so special is the fact that Woody came into Miami and understanding how to motivate his team and to afford not only his team uh, uh, to win the game, but actually secured the Ohio State job for him. Yeah, I think I think you have a really good point on that because you're talking about the types of tenures that you know, are in college football now. You're lucky if you get the eight or ten years and not the decades right. that you yeah. know both Woody and Bo spent at their uh, respective schools. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this: so I was I was doing a little bit of research before we you know before we talked to you, and there was a really great research. article that was written. <laughs> there was a really great article that was written uh, about you and your son uh, a couple years ago on ESPN um, about you know your son Bo. And yeah, I just kind of want to know, like, Glenn how, e the, did, how is his Glenn E the Glenn E the fourth, by the way? Yeah, Glenn, e, that's, <laughs> which is excellent, by the way. I, I we we yeah. very much appreciate people who get to the fourth in the current Ohio State program. We're we're big fans of that. Um, well, let's just say that question, that was an understanding that was uh, uh, conveyed to me when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know what? So here's my question about Glenn E. the Fourth. Then, uh, yep. how has his understanding of the game evolved in the past three or four years? Is he is he really getting into it now? Is he a big fan? Well, you know what? We uh, uh, he he's not there yet, and I'm not one. See, my dad was very he was amazing. Like he never said to me, Shem, you have to play football because I'm the coach. He never demanded that of me. He wanted yeah. me to find my own way, okay? And so as a parent, uh, I want to do the same thing for Bo. And so Bo, uh, he's eight years old now. He's a great kid. Uh, uh, we all love him to death. Uh, he likes bowling, and he likes <laughs> basketball. Uh, he's a pretty He's a pretty damn good bowler. Okay, that's fantastic. So <laughs> he goes down there. I go down there a couple of weeks, and I'm not a, a good bowler by any means. But we go down there, and I get ready to get line, lined up for the first game. He took me to the woodshed. All right, <laughs> and so, and so I'm like Meg. You know, we, this is fine. You know, I want him to gain confidence in what he does, and this is really what we're all about. We want to. We want him to find his passion and his love what he enjoys doing. And uh, I would say slowly but surely we're finding that. Now, uh, uh, he's a big kid. He's almost, he's pushing 100 pounds right now at the age of eight. <laughs> and uh, uh, I want to make sure that if he's going to step forward and get on the gridiron and play football effectively, uh, we're going to put him in a position where he's going to be very technically sound. And so yeah. we have plenty of time, uh, in my mind, to get him ready to play if that's what he wants to do. But he has to make that decision himself, not me. Now, would he entertain a scholarship offer from Ohio State to play football? Uh, really. <laughs> eight years old. You guys are insane. You want to know why? Because because you get all you get all these recruiting services and, and you get these people that are offering scholarships to fourth and fifth graders. Yeah. And 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 so I started a business around this. All right. Yeah, you and, did. And let's and talk about that. And, and everybody, well, we will. And one of the things I tell all my kids, and this is the honest to God truth, look at 247 and Scout and Rivals. And those guys all do good work, okay? Yeah. But Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban, if you look at how many verbal offers they put out there every year, it's over 200, okay? Yeah. How right. many can they sign? How right, many right. can they sign? <clears throat> 25. They can't Someone sign knows. more than 25. The NCAA just mandated that number in the latest legislation. So 
What I say is these verbal offers, they don't mean ditzy squat. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What matters is what matters is if they offer you and they stay in touch, they call, they write letters, they write handwritten letters. They call once a week starting their senior year and, and, uh, in high school. It's the communication that sets the recruiting apart, not the scholarship offers. And you, uh, that you do, you're now the owner of GES Advisory Company. I'm, and- I'm, I'm the president. I'm the president of GES Advisory Company. So what I did, and so to get you guys caught up, so I spent 16 years in the NFL in personnel and scouting. So everything I did was geared towards the NFL draft every spring. And so when I left back in 2013, after after working for the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Marty Schottenheimer and the Chicago Bears and uh, Washington Redskins for Joe Gibbs, and then I was on the staff for one year with the Seahawks with uh, uh, Pete Carroll. So I left after th- 2013 because I wanted to watch this young Bo Schembechler grow up. You know, I take him to school every day. <laughs> And so uh, so I started this business, and I'm literally bringing the NFL scouting model to high school football. It's never really been done before. Nobody is doing this. And so uh, I just started two years ago. And since that time, uh, it has created a, a really governing force within the recruiting space. And so I get calls from coaches all the time because when I sit down and I break down huddle film on all these players and I'm writing scaled-back NFL-style reports, and the players are getting right. So uh, the report has strong points, weak points, summation, and uh, it has governance within the recruiting space. College coaches don't have time to break down game film the way I do. And after I break down game film, and we're not doing highlight tapes here, man. The highlight tapes are the bane of college, uh, college recruiting today because too many mistakes are made. And so when I break down the game film and we get accurate measurables on all these kids, you're going to get the most accurate report in the industry of every player that's within our system. So in two years, uh, we've grown quite dramatically. I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. So as of today, uh, we have expanded into 19 states with over 110 prospects. And nice. so I think, in due, I think in due time, it's going to become a national trend. Uh, this is going to be the go-to scouting service for high school football. And this is nothing against our friends over at Scout and Rival, but the fact that we're bringing NFL scouting pedigrees to the fore here is going to dynamically change the way recruiting operates here in this country. And uh, I'm confident. So by the time we get to where we want to be and we're going to be in all 50 states, uh, we're going to bring in other pedigreed NFL scouts that are either retired or sitting around kind of like I was there for a period of time. And uh, we're going to put them behind a computer and a laptop, and they're going to break down game film themselves, and we'll be able to scale this thing out to serve uh, the masses of high school football players who want to play in college. Oh, that's excellent. Um, Yeah, that's great. And this has been great having you on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Always enjoy visiting with you. all mine, man. And just (laughs) remember, uh, we all talk about – and it sounds like you guys want to wrap up, and I don't blame you. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could talk for hours, as you can imagine. Yeah, uh, yes, we could. But uh, I, would, I would ask people who, who would have an interest, and so our website is uh, uh, www.gesadvisory.com. So it's G-E-S-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-Y.com. And uh, people can read up on us and we're on Facebook and Twitter and all that garbage because that's where we have to go from a marketing standpoint these days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so that that's really what our program is. So it's been very cool and exciting. Uh, but I want to get back to this game for a little bit, man, because everybody talks about, oh, Peter's play, don't play and all this stuff. Uh, I'm of the opinion and having watched that game and that play when he went down, Uh, I don't think the injury is quite as bad as people think. Now, I could be wrong because I don't talk with the doctors or Jim, especially this week. I don't want to take away from their time. But I wouldn't be shocked if Pierce is ready to play on Saturday. And uh, I don't want to take away from the overall scheme of the game because this game is going to be won and lost up front, all right? Michigan has to run the football if they're going to have a chance to win this game. And uh, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time uh, watching the Iowa game and understanding hmm. how to run inside and outside zone, which is exactly what Purdue does. And I would expect to see a heck of a lot more of that, those types of blocking schemes 
and the key for Michigan is to get a healthy Karan Higdon back after that ankle sprain that he had two weeks ago. And if he's healthy, that's going to be what really rides that offense forward because as great as Michigan's defense is, and they're still in the top five in the country, we have to keep the Ohio State offense off the field as much as we can. And I think that's going to be the point of infraction in regards to how this game is going to go. This was, uh, this was excellent, sir. Thank you for your time. The pleasure is all mine. I want to wish you guys all the best of luck. And keep in mind, uh, you got a Schembechler here that is a devout Michigan Wolverine. But the fact that what separates me from all these other, a lot of other Michigan fans is I literally root for Ohio State in every single game except for that one. You know what? Same, same over here. That's, I think that's, that that's how a lot of us feel. Yeah. Well, that's what the rivalry should be all about. That's the way Bowen Woody wanted it. I promise you. And we want to remind you, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. All right, it is time for Ohio State and Michigan. You heard what Shemi had to say about that, and I think he's on point. I, I would pay extra special attention to what he said about Brandon Peters because I'm getting whispers of that up here too, that Peters is going to play. Um, and I, I'm starting to hear quite a bit of that. So I know that the narrative earlier in the week, and, and maybe this will change by the time you listen to this, if you listen to this later in the week, was that it would be John O'Corn. But everything that I'm hearing is it will be Brandon Peters starting a quarterback for Michigan, and that's a tremendous advantage if they do have him compared to if they have John O'Corn, who was just clueless in the game against uh, Penn State when it came to pocket protection. He just could not feel the pressure at all in that game, and that that seemed like that would be a long day for Michigan, if it is indeed O'Corn. So as we get to three things, uh, keep that in mind. For me, very simply, and this is a common theme, and it's common because I believe it emphatically, that Ohio State has got to go fast, and they've got to run the ball right at them. And Ohio State has to establish J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Mike Weber the last month has been a revelation, and I think he's obviously motivated to play this game. And I think you'll see a lot out of Mike Weber and a lot out of J.K. Dobbins. And I think Ohio State will try to punch Michigan in the mouth, running the football right at them. And I think they'll have some success doing it. So I, I think that that might be a good strategy as long as you've got two healthy guys who, who can can play in the most physical game that's been all year. They've been a little nicked up, but I, I think that's I agree with you. I think that's something that they're definitely going to go after. My first thing, though, is really the Ohio State defensive line versus the Michigan offensive line, because even Peters is in this game. And, you know, he's, he's looking somewhat okay. If their offensive line can't keep him upright, Ohio State is going to get him out of that game because I, they are going to be amped. And I, I really look for guys like Nick Bosa and some of these other dudes to just wreak havoc all over uh, yeah. Michigan's offensive line. That is, to me, where the game's really going to be won and lost. And, I mean, it's great if Peters can play. I think that's, that's good for the game overall. But I really just I I don't know that he wants to play, honestly, because I think that defensive line for Iowa State is going to eat them up. That's actually my third. So I'll move that to my second and just corroborate what you just said, that that is where the game will be won and lost, that Michigan's offensive line is going to have a big problem. And if it's John O'Corn, it's a bigger problem. If it's John O'Corn, this could very well be 42 to seven. Yeah. Um, not, he's, he's not great, but this game is not the matchup for him. It's just, it's a really poor matchup for him. Um, so to me, uh, if Peters plays, I give my, Michigan a fighting chance. If it, if they trot out John O'Corn, I give them no chance to win the football game. So to me, uh, your number one point, I will make it my number. It was going to be my third. I'll make it my number two and just, uh, just piggyback off what you said, because it, it, it just feels like it's just going to be a bloodbath up front. And, um, yeah unless we just see something that we haven't seen, it just seems like Michigan is not going to be able to block them. And I feel like as good as, uh, as good as Hegden is and he's fine, it, he, he's not enough to keep them off. I mean, you look what Ohio state did to Saquon Barkley, who's a lot better player and, um, right. and how difficult it was for him to run and that they needed McSorley to make plays. And if it's O'Corn, he's not McSorley and he doesn't have Gusecki. So um, it, it's, it's, it spells for a long day for Michigan. If, you know, when, when it comes to upfront, you're spot on with that. And I agree with you. It was my third. It's now my second. Yeah. The other thing that I'll say, my, my number two here is just, you got to start fast and, and basically get a, a sizable lead in the first quarter. I, Michigan is not a team that's prepared to play from behind. They just can't, I mean, they, they can maybe string a couple of good drives together, but if you don't allow them any kind of, you don't spot them any points, for example, you don't turn the ball over in the first quarter. You don't do anything dumb. 
uh, you pretty much have that locked up because they just cannot play from behind with the players and personnel that they have. If, if you keep it, you allow them to keep it close, maybe turn the ball over, maybe spot them seven points on a kickoff return or something stupid, then the game maybe changes its tenor a little bit. But if you win that game in the first quarter, I don't know what else happens in the second, third, and fourth to allow Michigan to, to keep up with Ohio State. Yeah, they were hopeless last week, Michigan, trying to chase Wisconsin. Yeah. Just hopeless. There was just nothing they could do. Um, and that goes to my third point, which is don't chase the game if you're Ohio State. Uh, Urban Meyer's kryptonite is trailing early. He, right. for whatever reasons, offensively panics and becomes over-reliant on his quarterbacks and them throwing the football and making plays. And in the three losses that Ohio State has taken the last year, that's been the case in every single one, where they get behind and then they can't. Then they, there's a panic to the play calling. There's a panic to the strategy. And they end up leaning on the quarterback, and that can't happen. Um, so if Ohio, if JT Barrett does throw a pick six on the first series, continue to believe in the run game and continue to believe that that's your way home. I mean, people forget this. It was a 17-17 game at Iowa, and Ohio State still abandoned the run. They just forgot right. it existed. And that can't happen in this game because I, I'm, the only chance Michigan has is you giving them the football via turnover, via interception uh, primarily. So – and. They're really good defensively, but I think they can be. I think Ohio State will be able to run the football on them. And I think it's so important that Ohio State and Urban Meyer specifically, it's weird to call out one of the greatest coaches in the history of college football, but he can't have the mentality where he has to chase a game because when he does that, they become over reliant on the quarterback and they forget the running backs. We've seen it a lot over the last couple of years. Heck, we saw it in 2015 with Zeke. So um, that's important. Don't chase the game if you're the Buckeyes. Yeah, for me, number three is just respect the game. And when I say that, I mean like capital T, capital G, respect the game, because Michigan's going to come into this with absolutely nothing else to lose. I mean, this is it. This is this is their season. And if you can't match that intensity, I mean, Michigan has a lot of deficiencies overall, but if you can't match that intensity, especially playing on the road, you know, against the team that's going to be really, really amped to beat you, especially with the way a lot of Michigan fan or Michigan players feel that they were kind of cheated out of a victory last year. You can't match the intensity that can spell bad things, at least initially in the game. And then the game can kind of get away from you. So you got to respect the game. You got to come out with the same kind of intensity that they will. And you also have to make sure that you're playing to the kind of level uh, that Ohio state is capable of playing at, because if you play down to them and, and play their game, then things can get weird. And that's not something that you want to see uh, in the Ohio state Michigan game. No, certainly don't. Do you have? Uh, do we have any ask us anything for uh, Michigan week? We do, and you know what? So I really appreciate uh, you guys sending these in. Um, this is this is obviously you know the most important week of the year. So uh, we like you guys sending those in. Uh, you guys can ask us anything to dubcast at elevenwarriors.com via email or at eleven dubcast on Twitter. Um, so if you guys you know have any of those questions, go ahead and send them in. This one's from Neil. He wants to know, do you like or dislike when people refuse the letter M during Michigan week? Personally, he does not like it. As Dumbledore said, call him Voldemort, Harry. Always use the proper name for things. Fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. We have no reason to fear Michigan. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I, is that Harry Potter? That is Harry Potter, yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read any of that or seen any of it. But um, I, I don't, I, it doesn't bother me. It, I don't like it. I mean, it's fine. It's. Yeah. I think it's kind of silly. I think that it was silly, like when Brady Hoke wouldn't say Ohio State, like you said Ohio. It seems contrived a little bit to me. Um, mm -hmm. it, I kind of lump it with Brady Hoke calling Ohio State Ohio. It just seems kind of like, eh, okay. But some people like it. So I, I don't. I'm not going to get worked up over it. It's not like a uniform issue where I would get worked up with something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I love it. I honestly think it's great. I think it's incredibly petty and silly and dumb. And I love it. And that's exactly what college football rivalries are built on that. And I think it's great. I think it's insane that the entire campus, you know, puts a red X over every M on every sign right. on every building. That's, that's absolutely mind boggling. I, we were on campus. Me and my fans are on campus last you know weekend for the game. And we're looking around. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of tape. Like there's yeah. not, you know, there is not a single sign that doesn't have something that needs to be marked out and they do it. They go down there and they just, they eliminate every M that they can possibly do. And I just think that's incredibly petty and silly and, and perfect for college football. So I Let really, really enjoy this. that. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Somebody asked me this today. Like what was, what's my kind of feeling about how Ohio state fans view the rivalry. And I wanted to ask you this because this, I think ties into your M thing that you like. Okay. 
I think for my perspective is that for Ohio State fans, there is an enormous chip on the shoulder because for generations, they were told that Michigan was the better school. Then, mm, yeah. That Ann Arbor, I, the great line from John U. Bacon, Ann Arbor stands for arrogant assholes. And he says in the HBO thing, and we think they're a little bit redneckish, um, mm-hmm. that essentially Ohio State is just the school that anybody can get into. And now we all know that's not how it is now and hasn't been for a very long time. But for generations, it was. And Michigan had all this money and all this auto money and all this stuff. And they were this glamorous program up north that had all these, all this dignified blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so there was this. So for Ohio, I, to me, it almost feels like for Ohio State fans, it means more than Michigan fans. It almost feels like Michigan fans can say, yeah, but we have the better school. Like that, is there anything to that? That was always the fallback. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I think, I think there's a little bit nuts. of, you know, I think there's definitely a little bit of snobs versus slobs going on. I, I don't think, you know, especially, you know, when you think about the 90s, Ohio State, I mean, you had a, if you had a high school degree from the state of Ohio, from a high school in Ohio, like you were eligible to attend the Ohio State University. Like that was it. <laughs> so you just, yeah. you just needed that, that high school diploma. Whereas Michigan is, you know, the Harvard of the, the West and all this other BS. Right. And while the stature of Ohio State's academics has raised, you know, exponentially over the past 10, 15 years, I, I think there still is an element of that. You like kind of playing okay. the spoiler and the underdog and the, the snarky, like, you know, flying the ointment kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think there's an element of that. Absolutely. I, just want to see I think if that Ohio was fair State fans because, like playing that role. Yeah, I pick up, I do, I, I did pick up a, on that in Columbus. That's kind of the impression I had of the two that, it meant more to Ohio State than it did to Michigan. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's definitely a good interpretation of that. And part of it because, you know, at least how I grew up in the 90s, you know, you got a lot of Ohio State losses there. But yeah, I think there is an element of like, these guys are, you know, jerks. Let's let's get them. Um, this one's pretty relevant. I, I appreciate this question from Nate. He said, with the tragic passing of Terry Glenn, do either of you have a favorite memory of him that you could share with us, either from his time at Ohio State or his time in the NFL? I'll tell you a story second person, and I hope this I get this story right. But my uh, former sports director at, t- at Channel 10 was a guy named Paul Spahn, and he was like the hardest working guy in media in Columbus for a very long time. And when Terry Glenn's draft party came about, Terry Glenn only had the one great year at Ohio State, and it was the best right. year a receiver has ever had at Ohio State. And he was a notoriously quiet, shy kid. Uh, his past was littered with difficulty, and um, we know the story now. He, you know, he had to walk on at Ohio State and fought grades and eligibility and all these things and finally has this one great year and he goes pro and he's going to get drafted high. And so Paul Spahn goes to his house uh, because he used to have those type of relationships with players and coaches in the program. And he goes to his house to record his draft day. Um, So Terry Glenn was so nervous about not being picked that he couldn't even watch it, like couldn't even handle it. And so he goes upstairs to his room and proceeds to watch the draft in his bedroom upstairs while every, the rest of the family and friends. And every time that a pick would come, uh, Paul would shoot the moose as, as he's known, would, would shoot the screen and then uh, would pan up waiting, you know, not knowing what would happen. And when he pans to say, and it's, I believe the new England Patriots was it the eighth pick or wherever he was picked, um, you know, Terry Glenn, Glenn comes shooting out of the upstairs bedroom, like a missile downstairs, just screaming and crying and overcome with emotion. And um, I've heard that story many times, and I think it does a pretty good job of showing about what a person has been through to get to where he was and reaching the pinnacle. And then he became a great pro and all of those things. But um, I never knew Terry. I never met him. He wasn't around the program much. Um, so he, he was he was rare to see him ever around. Um, but but the legend of him, you know, I think will always live on. And, and just for having the most spectacular single season a receiver has and maybe will ever have at the program. Yeah, I mean that, and if you look at the statistics from that year, from uh, from 1995, I mean it was mind-boggling what he was able to accomplish. Uh, it was like like 1,400 yards of receiving, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just basically, you know, Devin Smith on steroids, like com- complete like steroids. It was insane what he was able to do. I will say that. So 1995, I was 10 years old, and I was just starting to kind of you know really pay attention to Iowa State, and. I knew he was awesome. I, that was pretty much it. That's that's pretty much all I knew as a 10-year-old. But I remember Terry Glenn mostly as the Ohio State player in the NFL that I always kind of looked to when I was a kid. And I, that was the first guy that I remember thinking, that's our guy. 
You know, yeah. that's our guy in the league. He's going to get a spread. Like, that's the first dude I can really remember. And I watched a lot of Patriots games when I was a kid, basically because of Terry Glenn. And I just, I remember going like, all right, that's our dude. And, you know, after that, you start following players in the league and seeing how they're doing. But really, he was the first guy that I can remember going, that's an Ohio State guy. He, It's important that he does well because he's one of us. Like, he's one of our guys. And I just, I always valued that. And I, he was one of my favorite players when I was a little kid. Um, you know, I was a Bengals fan, but I always had a soft spot for the wide receivers because, you know, I love Carl Pickens and all those dudes. So, um, yeah, <laughs> right. that's that's pretty much my memory of him. Um, yeah, he was great. So, he was a comet. I mean, it was just he one was year. He's kind of like Malik Hooker, you know, like, you know, he just burst right. on the scene and then he's gone. You know, he's the best player in college football at the position. And then he's gone. It's like one year. And you're like, wow, why the hell? Just one year of that kid. That's how I felt about Malik Hooker. And that's how I feel about, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a parallel there with Terry Glenn, where it's just one year of greatness. He had like 250 yards and four touchdowns in a game. I mean, just spectacular. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah, completely crazy. Um, and so that's, we, we've got a couple extra Dubcast questions, but I'm going to save that for after Michigan Week, because I want to I want to kind of end on that note. But again, go ahead and send those questions in, uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com. You know, it would be badass if they came out Saturday. They won't, because they're already committed to wearing these ridiculous uniforms but if they came out in the mid 90s huge huge numbers oh my like god would that be so badass great. if they came out with like that would be giant, those giant numbers on their shoulder those huge numbers yeah, from dude. those mid 90s the huge gray stripes god that'd be badass if they did that that they would don't be have great. enough time if they did that as a tribute no. to terry it would be pretty cool uh all That'd right buddy fantastic. uh it is the game and we will observe it and watch it we'll talk about it next week right here on the dubcast 